everyone. I'm Kim Shushinsky, and this is Happily Even After. You can listen to me live every Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. at 103.9 FM or online at linewsradio.com. Thank you all for tuning in. And how wonderful is it that it is 5 o'clock and it is still light outside? <laughs> it is, it's happening. So if you've listened to my show before, you know that I'm, I'm really on a mission and it's to keep divorcing couples out of the legal system and to help them restructure their families with dignity and privacy and, and mutual respect. If you're considering a divorce, give me a call. Let's have a conversation. My number is 516-308-2922 or email me at kmc at adrlawny.com. My guest today is bankruptcy attorney Heath Berger, who has been practicing for 28 years and also hosts his own show called Done With Debt right here on 103.9 FM every Friday from 5 to 5.30 p.m. Welcome, Heath. It is a pleasure to have you on today, and thanks for taking the time to be here. Oh, thanks, Kim. I appreciate you having me on today. So, Heath, you know, marital debt and what to do with it is really very often one of the biggest issues in a divorce. Yeah, as a matter of fact, just listening to uh, your opening, you know, people always ask, what's some of the biggest causes of people filing bankruptcy? And you hit it on the head before. It's it's usually a divorce. It's usually the financial destruction that's caused by a divorce. And a litigated divorce, even more so, because then you got the counsel fees on top of everything else, right? The, the, the calls I get from people who are like, I finished my divorce, I got nothing, and I owe everything. What can I do? <laughs> I, I know. You're right, right, right. I go, well, you should have settled earlier. You know? it's, really, it's just terrible. I know, I know. So let's start at the beginning. Why, if you could, walk us through the different types of bankruptcy filings for individuals. Sure. So there's technically three types of bankruptcy filings that probably encompass 95% of bankruptcies. You know, the first one is the one you hear about all the time, which is the Chapter 7 bankruptcy. So that, in essence, is a liquidation bankruptcy. In essence, it liquidates your assets up and above an exemption amount to pay off your creditors. What's ever left gets wiped out. Now, in 99% of the cases, people don't have assets to be liquidated. Hmm. So at the end of the day, you basically keep everything you have and all the debts get wiped out. That process is you're in and out in, you know, four months. So what's, what's exempted? So exempt is we have different types of exemption schemas, but New York has a very generous homestead exemption. So what do I mean by that? Well, in New York, you get to keep $172,500 worth of equity in your home per person. So if you have a house worth $600,000, it's titled in you and your spouse, and you only owe three hundred, dollars you could keep that $300,000 in equity in your house and wipe out all your credit card debts. Wow. So exemptions are important, always important to know what the appropriate exemptions to use. But, you know, pensions are exempt, retirement accounts are them. So you have a million dollars in a retirement account, that's exempt. Wow. You get rid of all your debt. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, that's, so, that's incredible. And, and it's important, we'll talk a little bit more, because there are issues how divorces affect into it and settlements based on those exemptions. Right, right. You, like you can't, you can't discharge child support or spousal support. No. Congress has come down with that one saying, no. No. Child support, spousal support's non-dischargeable. Anything in the nature of that's non-dischargeable. Uh, awards of attorney's fees, if, a non-moneyed if the moneyed spouse was ordered to pay the non-moneyed spouse's attorney's fees, those fees in a lot of cases are non-dischargeable. 
you'd have to go through an extra process in bankruptcy because that's in the nature of support or maintenance. Right, right, right. Okay, so that's Chapter 7. So the other chapter is what's called the Chapter 13 bankruptcy, and that's a reorganization bankruptcy. Most cases, that's done really in two scenarios. The most common one that we hear about is you're behind on your mortgage, uh, you fell behind for whatever reason, you want to try to save your house. So it gives you an ability to take the arrears on the mortgage, let you pay that back over a period of five years, plus stay current on your mortgage. And we also deal with all your other debts in that too. The other time a Chapter 13 is involved is sometimes if you're a high earner, because bankruptcy has what's called a means test. And if you make above a certain income after going through a number of steps, you have to qualify for a bankruptcy. If you don't qualify for a Chapter 7, you would do a 13. We work a payment plan with your creditors. We pay them back over a period of five years without interest. Okay. And then the final type is really the Chapter 11, and that's what you read about in the paper all the time because all the corporations, the businesses, you know, end up filing it. But really, most of the mom-and-pop businesses are the ones that really could benefit from the Chapter 11s as opposed to you know, any major corporation or Neiman Marcus or right, right, Nordstrom's, right, right. you know, yeah. which we read about all the time. Yeah. And and a lot of times that'll happen in the context of a divorce. You'll have a small business. Correct. One of the parties owns a small business and that they can avail themselves of that. All right. So getting back to the kinds of debt that can't be discharged, can't do child support, can't do maintenance, can't do uh, spousal counsel fees for the non-moneyed spouse. What, what other kinds of expenses can you not discharge? Can't discharge uh, student loans. Really? Yeah. Now, you know, we, we all have issues on that one. Uh, you know, there's, I think, 16 different bills in Congress at some point to try to change that. But right now, you can't discharge student loans, whether it's you, it's your personal loan, or it's one of those Parent PLUS loans or anything like that. You can't discharge those loans. Uh, taxes have to be more than three years old and have to have been filed on time, and you had to have been, everything had to be done to get taxes. But anything more than three years on taxes can be discharged in bankruptcy. Oh, really? So that's, yeah, that's a, that's a big point that comes out a lot. So so what if you have a payment plan with, with the IRS, and you've been paying under it? You, because you have that plan, you can't then discharge? If, it's, if the debt was incurred more than three years, you've uh, filed your taxes on time, there wasn't any audits in between, mm-hmm then you have an ability to discharge those debts. Wow, very interesting. So, uh, other debts you can't discharge is uh, any kind of intentional tort. You know, you go to a bar, you punch somebody, and they sue you, you can't discharge that. Right. Uh, a very, what we'll always call the, the ambiguous thing is, you know, things that were done by fraud, depending what that is. You know, you went out yesterday and you charged $50,000 on your credit card and then decide to file bankruptcy the next day. Right. Obviously, the creditors could object to that. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the things that affects a lot of people is sometimes acting in a fiduciary capacity. You know, sometimes we see I was an executor of a will and my brother sued me because he said I stole money and they got a judgment against me. Those are issues. You get some issues like that in small businesses where one partner sues the other that you stole the money and you're acting in that fiduciary capacity. Okay. You know, but while there's a whole list of non that things that you can't discharge, 95% of the people have debts that are dischargeable. Right. All right. Two quick questions that you just bring to mind for me. Going back to the credit cards. So a couple getting divorced has, you know, $120,000 in credit card debt. 
is there like a look back period? Like how far back is is a court going to look to see what can be discharged? No, the, the debts are deemed automatically discharged. Okay. The courts don't look at it. If a creditor wants to object, a creditor can object saying, hey, you went out last week, you did it. It's a very tough standard. And I have to be honest with you, I haven't seen a creditor object in the last five or six years. I think credit really? card companies don't really care. You know, yeah. I mean, listen, if you go out some egregious issue, they may come in. But, right. you know, listen, if you go in, my advice to clients if they come in is obviously going to be, well, if you charge last week a big amount, we won't file you for a couple of months. You right, know, it's right, always right. good. There, there is always something called bankruptcy planning. Of course. <laughs> I'm sure there is. <laughs> it's planning for everything in life, right? And then we'll have to take a break in a couple of seconds. But if if the marital premises is in foreclosure already, how does that, because you said you can restructure the mortgage in bankruptcy, how would the fact that you're in foreclosure? Well, the bank, that's the best part about the bankruptcy is because the filing of the bankruptcy invokes what's called the automatic stay, which stops the foreclosure dead in its tracks. And then we propose the reorganized plan under bankruptcy to cover the arrears, pay that back over time, and have you stay current on the mortgage. So it actually reinstates the mortgage and stops the foreclosure. So we're here speaking with bankruptcy attorney Heath Berger, and he is helping us weed through the murky waters of bankruptcy and divorce. Ah, Thank you very much. We were talking a little bit about when a house is in foreclosure, and I face this a lot with clients. The house is in foreclosure. There may or may not be other, you know, insurmountable debt, but that decision of when to save the house. Can you give us some insight into how to make that decision? So that's probably one of the toughest conversations I have with clients all the time. You know, we as outsiders, you know, as attorneys, we say it's four walls, you know, look at it on an economic point of view. Obviously, the person whose house it is looks at it more on an emotional point of view. And that, that's always the conflict that we have. Always. You know, is, you know, look at the rational side and the practical side, put the emotions aside. Uh, the decision to make really becomes a numbers game. And that's kind of how I always kind of approach it with clients. You know, what's the house worth? How much is owed on it? Is it worth saving? Because what ends up happening sometimes is... You know, if your your mortgage payment's a thousand dollars a month and you're twelve months behind, most people think I only owe twelve thousand dollars. No. The reality <laughs> is, is you probably owe eighteen or nineteen thousand right. dollars because of everything that that's accrued with the right. interest late charges and all that. So, you know, when you start looking at mortgages are behind six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen, eighteen, you know, thirty-four months, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of the arrears starts to become substantial on it. And you know, in a bankruptcy in order to save the house, what we do is we basically stop the foreclosure action by the filing of the bankruptcy, and we take that arrears, we spread it out over five years, plus stay current on the mortgage. Does the does the stay of the foreclosure stay the accrual of interest? Yes. Uh-huh. Whatever. If, we, if you owe $18,000 on the day I file, that's it. So okay. you're going to pay that money back over the period of time without any more interest penalties, late charges, or any other things they keep tacking on you. Right, right. You know, but you got to look at the numbers and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, your mortgage was 2000, the payments under the plan is another 500. Does that make sense to to stay to pay in your house?" Right. Now, some people look at it and say, "We live on Long Island and I can't rent for cheaper than that, mm-hmm. so it's okay." That's a very real analysis. Th- yeah. Right. And that that's a great analysis that people say sometimes that I rather rent my house than rent somebody else's house. Mm-hmm. You know, we also want to look at the equity in the house. 
you know, there are people that come in and they haven't paid a mortgage in five years and the house is worth 300 and they owe 600 on it. Exactly. You know, yeah. then you start looking at the numbers and saying, yeah, I understand you'd rather rent your own house, but does it make sense? Are you better off, you know, kind of going other routes that we can do, put that money aside, put it away for six months or a year and use mm-hmm. it for, you know, maybe a down payment for right, something. Right, Yeah, because, you know, in divorces a lot, there's that emotional bond to the house and one of the conversations i have to have with clients is okay even if we can save this house can you afford to carry it right after you've saved it or are you going to find yourself right back in the same position two three years down the road and and that's always what we try to you know i I try to impart on clients is you know we want to come up with a plan we want to come up with a solution i don't want you to be back in the same place again right and again things happen in life that you can't control sometimes Mm -hmm. but if everything stays steady are you going to be back to where you are today and you're just putting yourself deeper down? Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> let's focus on divorcing people for a second. Okay. What are some things that divorcing couples can do before to prevent it, before it gets to the point of having to file bankruptcy? What about things like debt consolidation? So I know I'm a bankruptcy attorney, so I, you know, I'm always pro-bankruptcy. I'm personally not a fan of these debt consolidation businesses. And, and I, my simple reason is, I've been doing this for 28 years. I've probably, 40% of my clients have all tried these debt consolidations mm-hmm. and it never works. Why? So here's the reason. Is let's assume for argument's sake you have 10 credit cards, okay? Mm-hmm. You go to a debt consolidation. They say, okay, pay me $700 a month we're gonna, and we're going to try to negotiate deals with different companies. The first thing is, not all 10 credit card companies are going to participate in this program. Okay. So that's number one. Number two, they're collecting the money that's not stopping any of these credit cards from the interest accruing, the late charges accruing, the over limit accruing. So while you're not paying them and you're giving these debt consolidation companies money to allow them to negotiate, all these penalties are accruing. So where you th- walk into them and say, I only owe 30000 you may at the end be paying down and still owe 40000 Wait, 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 wait. I thought that when you entered into a deal, pay us, you know, $700 a month and we'll take care of everything, that that, they've already cut the deals with the credit card. No, your agreement with them is you're going to pay us X dollars and we're going to try to work out deals with companies. Not that... And if they don't, you could find out some point down the line that there's been no deal and you still owe? My favorite call, just got it two days ago. I'm in a debt consolidation and my salary is being garnished. I don't understand. I go, because typical in American Express, they won't participate in any of these things. They sued you. They got a judgment against you. They're garnishing your salary. Wow. Yeah. See, that's the problem. I mean, listen, I, I, there are clients that can't file bankruptcy and a debt consolidation, if it would work, would be a great story. I, I, could, I always joke. I go, I could write a book. I have stories. I had a client oh, the sure. other day come in. Same thing. It's, you know, nobody realizes that no in a bankruptcy, everybody's mandated to participate. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's not, it's not you could opt in or out. If I file a bankruptcy and I list you as a creditor, whether it's a 13, you are mandated to participate in my reorganization. Or in a 7, I get my debts discharged. These things are not mandatory. There's no law that says, oh, creditor, you have to participate in this. And you're not even told? You're just paying the I, debt consolidation company X dollars a month, and you don't know if they've cut deals? Nope. You've, 
I have I have clients that all the time come in and say, or maybe they cut a deal with one, but they don't cut it. I mean, you start paying them before they cut the deal. So their goal is, is we'll accrue a pot so then we can go to them. Wow. And sometimes they just never do. Right. And, and some just won't participate. So you're still obligated. So yeah. even if they cut five, the other five, which you're not paying, you're still accruing interest late charges. They could sue you, legal fees and all that. Okay, so let's forget about debt consolidation. <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> all right, so give me some ideas of what things people can do that will help. I mean, listen, I, I always say is you really got to take some financial inventory uh, of where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a firm believer, you know, a, a lot of people, I always use the ostrich example, you know, always want to put their heads sure. in the sand. Yeah. I, I always have clients that walk in, they give me their bills, they come back when we go over their petition, they're like, I thought I only owed like 12000 Why do I owe 50000 Right, right. You know, so, I mean, listen, it, financial planning is always the way to do it, to sit down with your debt, to try to see how you can make the payment. Obviously, always try to pay more than the minimum payments. But, right. you know, listen, it does get to points that you can't. Mm-hmm. No matter where your income is, is all you're doing is paying. You know that on your statement. You know, if you pay the minimum, you're done in 35 exactly, years. Exactly, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. So let's say you've done all that and the decision gets made. All right, we, we, we have to file. Can you walk us through the steps involved? Sure. So the way bankruptcy really works is, and, and the way we do it in my office, is obviously we bring everybody in for a consultation. You know, what we try to do is we look at your income and expenses, your assets and liabilities, you know, to determine whether or not you're a candidate for a Chapter 7 or a Chapter 13. You know, obviously in most cases we want to try to do a Chapter 7, wipe out that debt, give you a fresh start. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what you end up finding is, you know, clients are paying seven, eight, nine hundred dollars a month towards credit card bills, and where where's that money coming from? Sometimes it's at the expense of maybe food, right. at the expense of putting money in a retirement account, right? You know, or taking money from retirement. You know, we talk about different alternatives. I mean, I know clients who, oh, I'm going to take a loan from my pension, oh. or I'm going to take equity loan from my car. Well, I always say, why are you taking are you what we call that? protected assets right. to pay a non-protected? Right, right, so. Right. You know, that our goal is to determine the best course of action to get rid of the debt as quick as possible and to kind of give everybody the fresh start. So what would what would make you not qualified for a chapter seven? So chapter seven, like I said, is a means tested issue. So the two things really that make you not qualified. Let's assume you have an excessive amount of assets. Mm-hmm. So we talked about that homestead exemption. Right, right. Just for argument's sake, let's say you have a million dollar house, but you only have a hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Mm-hmm. Now you may still have $100,000 of credit card debts, we'd have to put you into a Chapter 13 plan to deal with it because we want to protect your assets. I see. Uh, the other is is it's a means test. And the way the bankruptcy code set up is that if you make below a certain income and it's based on the, your family members, you automatically qualify for bankruptcy. If not, you have to go through certain steps. Okay. Again, 95% of the people qualify for a Chapter right. 7. All right, so after that initial assessment of which one to file under, what comes next? So what would come next, the way in my office is obviously we take an intake down, we take all the information down, we prepare your bankruptcy petition, you sign it, we file it in the court. So once that petition is filed, probably one of the greatest you know, things of bankruptcy is the stay goes into effect. It's the automatic stay. And, mm-hmm. and what that means is that all creditors are stopped. So they can't take any action against you. Mm-hmm. They can't sue you. They can't harass you. They can't garnish your salary, go after your bank account. 
and probably what allevi alleviates people most and makes them happy, they can't call you anymore. Mm -hmm. So they can't harass you. They can't say, where's my money? You know, clients all the time come in and when they're in my office, their cell phone's ringing. They go, oh, another call oh. or another text. Oh, to have so that stop must that, be such a relief of that's stress. That's what clients say. They say, that's the best thing. Mm -hmm. uh, in a chapter seven, about 30 days after we file the petition, we have what's called a 341 meeting, which is a meeting with us and a trustee Trustee is the attorney who's appointed by the courts to represent your creditors. And his job is to make sure you're not hiding any assets. Okay. Now, again, anybody who's properly prepared, if there are assets, we know ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody knows what going in or should know going in what the issues are going to be. Right. Your creditors have 60 days after that to object to your bankruptcy. And then you get your discharge. And all the debts are wiped out forever. Wow. And the Chapter 13, a little different because the the meeting of creditors, they want to make sure that your creditors are getting paid what they're entitled to. Mm -hmm. We then have another court hearing after that, which is a confirmation hearing, which a judge says, hey, you're doing a good job, which means you're making your payments, you're doing what you're supposed to. And then usually the payment plan lasts for five years. Okay. So do you, is, do you have any opinion on whether it's better to file, if it's inevitable, if to file during the divorce, before the divorce, or wait till after? So I'm always of the opinion, you know, there's a there's a split of authority on it or opinion. I always think file either before you get divorced or during the divorce. And the reason for that is, listen, in a divorce, what are, what's one of the issues everybody deals with? How do we split the debt? Right. You know, how are we going to deal with the debt? If you could get rid of that ahead of time, you're better off. It also helps in a lot of cases, again, depending how assets get distributed, we could take advantage of double the exemption amounts. Uh -huh. As opposed to a single person, we get double the exemptions because each one gets their own exemption. So that's important, especially with houses and equity and that. Oh, that's uh, really important yeah. to know. And I think it's just one less thing you have to deal with going forward. So I'm, I'm always a big believer in if this is going to be where it's going to, the, the, the end result, right. let's get it done. Plus, I know it sounds crazy, but let's do one bankruptcy instead of paying for two. Yeah. <laughs> so does the filing then, if you're, you're doing this before you get divorced, is both spouses filing together? Yes. Or it yeah, is. it's a joint bankruptcy. It's yep. a joint bankruptcy. Yeah. Okay. Now, again, hotly contested, nobody wants to be together, but I, I do get calls from many, many, many matrimonial attorneys that say, hey, both lawyers kind of agree, let's do this right. now. Because at least that's one less thing we have to deal with at the end. Yeah, yeah. So how does filing bankruptcy impact somebody's credit going forward? What so, happens after it's done? So it is on your credit for the next seven to 10 years. But most of my clients tell me that within six months after it's over, they're getting car loans, car leases, and credit cards. And most clients within two years are getting mortgages. Wow. It, you know, as I, as I tell clients all the time who walk into my office and go, well, I have a 750 credit rating, I go, Okay, how much in debt are you? They go, I'm 80,000 in debt. I go, what do you earn a year? I go, 40,000. I go, your credit numbers mean nothing. You right, know, yeah. the, the perverse world we live in mm -hmm. is you actually become a better credit risk after bankruptcy because if you're that $40,000 a year person, you know, if you owe 80,000, nobody wants to be the person after that. Right. But now you owe zero. Hey, everybody wants to be number one again. Yeah, yeah. So clients all, you know, credit, you know, is easy to obtain, you know, much easier than it used to be years ago. And the stigma is not there anymore. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big, that I still hear a lot from clients, that there's still such a stigma. And there's just so much shame and embarrassment. He, here's what I tell everybody. You know, 
in, unless somebody's looking, nobody's going to ever know you file bankruptcy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. going to show up on a credit report, but so is the fact that if you fell behind on a payment, mm-hmm. so is the fact that if you're $80,000 in debt, you know, that shows up. So, right. you know, what's a, what's a worse stigma that I can't pay my bills or I'm taking money from my, my college fund or this, or, hey, I got my life, I got rid of the debt, and I got that fresh start, and I got to move exactly. on. Exactly. And, and clients tell me all the time, I wish I called you earlier. Yeah. I would have been on that start. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure. Wow. So how does someone find the right bankruptcy attorney? Well, I say I'm the right one. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Uh, yeah, Next say, question. <laughs> uh, listen, there's a lot of good bankruptcy attorneys on mm-hmm. Long Island. They're all actually my friends. I mean, you know, you can get in touch with me, you know, by giving me a call at 516-747-1136 or 1-800-806-1136. Or my website, which is bfsbankruptcy.com. Uh, you know, listen, we're we're here to help. We're here to do what we can. Uh, you know, listen, it's like how you find every other lawyer. You know, yep. it's it's yep. it, it, it's the way it is. You know, we all think we're mm-hmm. the best, and you know, yeah. hopefully we are. Yeah. <laughs> so tell people if you wouldn't mind when they come to see you, what should they be asking you? How do they prepare themselves for the first meeting with you? So I'm actually a believer that usually I'll speak to somebody on the phone ahead of time. You know, kind of like a, a mini consult almost. Right. Because I like to know ahead of time whether there's certain issues out there. And it even goes right with the divorce uh, issues. Because I'll ask somebody, you know, you're married, single, divorced. And if they say they're divorced, let's say, you know, I want to see the divorce agreements. Because that does have an effect in bankruptcy, how certain assets were distributed. Mm-hmm. It has some impact on if you're paying support. So I like to speak to people ahead of time. And usually my list of what I want to see is I want to see last 60 days of pay stubs. I want to see your last two years tax returns. I want to see all of your bills, everybody you owe money to, including mortgages, car loans, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then kind of depending on the questions I ask you, if there's divorces, I'm going to want to see copies of the stipulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there are lawsuits, I'm going to want to see copies of the lawsuits. You know, So I try to give everybody a, a you know, a pretty comprehensive list to start out with. So when they come in, we kind of, you know, two steps ahead already. Right. One thing I didn't ask you about when things that can't be discharged, distributive awards in the context of divorce settlements, they cannot be discharged, that, That's right? correct. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the answer is they can't except under certain really stringent circumstances. Okay, okay. <laughs> So, well, Heath, I can't believe that this is our time. Right. I was going to say, this went pretty quick. <laughs> I know, it always does. I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you for sharing all this information with me and our audience. It was a pleasure having you. I hope you'll come back again. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> this was a pleasure. And you know what? The interaction between the two is, you know, insane. How many oh, divorced yes. people end up coming in, people needing bankruptcies. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, the, the interaction between the two, yes. you know, is crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. So thanks, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Happily Even After. I'm divorce attorney Kim Shashinsky. If you're thinking that it's time to end your marriage and begin creating the new life that awaits you, let's talk about how to get you started so that you too can live life happily even after. Give me a call, 516-308-2922. Visit my website at adrlawny.com or shoot me an email at kmc at adrlawny.com. Everyone stay safe and healthy and have a great night.